1: And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death and also other stuff in which two brothers, Hank and John Green, will give you dubious advice, bring you all the week's news for both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, answer your questions, and I forgot. Give you
0: dubious advice. (laughs) Give you dubious (laughs) advice. How you doing, John? I'm all right. I'm proofreading right now, or I'm like dealing with the... Proofreader's queries for uh Turtles All the Way Down. My new book coming out October tenth, available for pre-order now at Probably Turtles.com.
1: So when people uh what, like when when you have a when you when there's something spelled wrong in your book, they're like, hey, did you want to keep this spelled wrong or do you want to like have it be spelled right now? Uh,
0: that is one of the issues, but it's also like should you capitalize the T in FaceTime uh is an Ooh. issue. Then there's Ooh. the big there's the big difficult questions uh like you know, word choice questions between what is technically the correct word and the word that everyone says, like which is Mm -hmm. better to pick in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it, it really proofreading gets down to like those parts of grammar where you're forced to think about why grammar exists, which is sort of interesting, but also I've only had like three hours of sleep. So it's a little exhausting right now. How are you?
1: Good. John, do you know about 80 percenting? Uh, No, what is 80%ing? 80%ing is the idea that the first 80% of the work is actually only 20% of the work, and the last 20% is like 80% of the work. So getting 80% of the way there is 20%, and then the the last 20% is like 80% of the work. And so what you should do is just... Forget about that last 20% and say, hey, look, if there's a bunch of words spelled wrong in this book, that's because I only wanted to get 80% of the way there. I had other stuff to do. I had to sleep. I have children. I have a podcast with my brother, Hank. I have to be sharp and I have to be good and funny. And I'm not going to worry about whether FaceTime has a capital T.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Hank. I 80%, 99% of my (laughs) professional life. I eighty percent every vlog video for the last eight years, so just let me have this one thing that I spend a lot of time
1: on. I should just make a video on eighty percenting, and it should it should just end like eighty percent of the way through. Just stop. No, no, no. I'll see you on Tuesday. Just uh, yeah,
0: that's a it's a it, it's
1: conceptually strong. I
0: don't know if I would actually enjoy watching <laughs> it
1: though. Oh, John, one hundred and one episodes. How are you feeling? I uh, great couldn't be happier. Um, just a
0: little bit tired due to the lack of the sleeping. Um, I think that I'm not gonna. I, mean, I, I will get some sleep once this book goes into production in uh, mid August. But until then, I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be the little engine that could. Uh, Hank, would you like a short poem for today?
1: Hey, yes, I would. All right. This, uh,
0: this short poem is from Emily Bronte, uh, but it was published under her nom de plume, Ellis Bell. And also I'm not going to read the whole thing. It was sent to me uh, by a listener named Sylvia uh, who suggested it because we always talk about that Emily Dickinson poem with hope is the thing with feathers. And, and she wanted me to read this poem because it's much more negative about hope, but I'm only going to read the final stanza. Hope, whose whisper would have given balm to all my frenzied pain, stretched her wings and soared to heaven, went, and ne'er returned again. Hope, by Mm. Emily Bronte. A story about hope leaving and never returning.
1: (laughs) Hope is the thing with feathers. It flies away from you and does not come back. (laughs) <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right john we got a first question it's from ben who asks dear hank and mainly john where would i pre-order a paperback version of your book turtles all the way down that's coming out my girlfriend and i both greatly dislike hardcover books i like turtles ben
0: all right uh <laughs> unfortunately Do you have bad news for ben yeah i have bad news for ben but then i also have more bad news for ben the first piece of bad news um is that uh, my book Turtles All the Way Down is not very deeply concerned with turtles.
1: It's like turtle free. It's like, uh, like, like how many, like how many turtles are in the book? John, is it like I just like s- a low, low turtle book?
0: I would say it's not a no turtle book, but it's definitely a low turtle book. So if you're looking <laughs> for a high turtle <laughs> book, I actually have a recommendation. Yeah, yeah, um, which is rare, but I do. I have a good. Uh, recommendation of a turtle-heavy book. Uh, It's called The People in the Trees, and it's by Hanya Yanagihara, and it's very good. Uh, So if you're looking for a turtle book, check that one out. However, if you're looking to read my new book in paperback, I would advise patience. So the reason books come out in hardcover before they come out in paperback is uh, there's a bunch of reasons, but the main one is that... uh, Hardcover books are more expensive and the royalties are better, much, much, much better for authors. So authors are usually in favor of hardcovers coming out before paperbacks. Uh, One thing that you could do, though, is you could rip off the hardcover and then uh, just kind of (laughs) glue all the pages together and then put on your own softcover, and that might suit your interests Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. But I also, I I think hardcover books are beautiful, and this book will be very beautiful. I have seen some uh, of the, like, comps for what it's going to look like. Have you seen a cover? I have seen a cover, but I've also seen the... All the all the little detailed stuff that I really love in books—the way they bind the books, the quality of the paper—all that stuff is really good. Like it's it's finally as ter- in terms of a physical item, it's finally the my like all of my dreams mm. coming true. So I'm sorry, Ben, but I also think that you're going to like the physical book available for pre-order now at probablysignedturtles.com.
1: Um, I like the idea of just getting your X-Acto knife out and being like, Ring! That those things are gone. It's about personal preference. Yeah.
0: Um yeah. Yeah, I won't be mad. I mean the book belongs to you, so do what you want with it. But the paperback will eventually come out, and I'm sorry that it's gonna take a while, but I have worked very hard and, and fought to make sure that the hardcover is relatively inexpensive. In fact, cheaper than lots of paperback novels coming out these days. This question comes from Maya, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, what would be the ecological effects if all mosquitoes died if there was a virus or something that eradicated all mosquitoes would ecosystems go to chaos or would we get along fine i'm asking because mosquitoes are the devil's spawn and also they <laughs> spread diseases that kill a lot of people thanks for asking valor margulis but mosquitoes first my
1: nice mosquitoes yeah All men must die uh but mostly i mean mosqui- by, by, by men i mean i mean mosquitoes i yeah, yeah y- y- I, you know, first of all, it's not. We don't have to kill all mosquitoes. There are so many species of mosquitoes that aren't the ones that bug us that much, and and there are only a few species of mosquitoes that transmit malaria, and uh, which is the p- biggest mosquito problem. And then uh, and so you you really only have to like hit a couple of species for it to be a really big difference. But I think for the most part, we'd be okay. Like there's stuff that eats mosquitoes, but those things eat other things too. I Like, this idea that, like, uh, that that all, like, the entire ecosystem is, is in balance and it, like, everything has its place. Like, ticks? No! No! Just, they should all die. They don't do anything useful. They just spread disease and suck blood. Like, that, like... They work, they function ecologically, they do a just fine job, but no, yeah, we could could probably, we could definitely get rid of the mosquitoes that are the worst offenders without any problems. In fact, we have tried, and we continue to try, and we have succeeded in some places.
0: Yeah, I mean, there used to be a lot Um, of malaria in north america and now there's none so it, there there has been a lot of progress but we have a long long way to go there was actually an article in nature about this hank and it has a great I, I won't read you the whole article because like most articles in nature it's a bit of a difficult read but it has a great subheadline: eradicating any organism would have serious consequences
1: for ecosystems wouldn't it Not when it comes to mosquitoes. (laughs) That's all you really need. We did a sci-show on it, too, if you want to watch that. It's probably a little more penetrable than the Nature article. Okay,
0: we have another question, and this one is one of those big, difficult questions. It comes from Mm, Ashley. mm -hmm. Dear Brothers Green, I was babysitting for a family I don't know very well, and the baby took his first steps while I was there. That's cute. (laughs) Should I tell the parents,
1: (gasps) Ashley oh man no definitely don't do that um what yeah no because you because like the, everybody's always like i don't know i i, I want to be there when Orin takes his first steps and i might not be in and like i'll be bummed if i'm not so like just like who who gets hurt by that lie of omission you don't have to be like well hey guys your baby definitely didn't have any, take any steps while you were gone not a walker that one <laughs> See, I would
0: argue that um if anything, you should lie in the other direction. You should be like, listen, not only did your baby take his first steps, he also said his first word, and it was Ashley. It was my <laughs> name. He looked me dead in the eyes and he said, Hello, Ashley. I love you more than I love my mother. And that was all he said. It was weird.
1: And then he was like, and then he said, I know they're only paying you twenty dollars an hour, and that's crap. Don't accept it. I'm worth so much more than that. That's what he said. That's all. That's all. And then he stopped and he clammed up and he hasn't said anything since. So uh, I don't know. That's just take, take, take what you will from that.
0: Walked all the way across the room, told me he did not approve of my compensation package and then clammed right back up. (laughs) Anyway, uh, really a pleasure to babysit for your astonishingly verbal, extremely mobile child.
1: Yeah. See you next time. Is it is it is it possible that I could that I could get a, some equity in this baby cuz uh I put a lot in. <laughs> just uh, just a low percentage, I don't know. How does it work?
0: Is that is that how you think babies work Hank that like um you currently own 100% of Oren's future earnings? <laughs>
1: I don't own 100 percent of Oren's future earnings, but I definitely entitled, am entitled to a percentage. Uh, I, I look
0: forward to the conversation that you have with Oren when he enters the workforce.
1: <laughs> no no, no, it's not initial compensation. It's only after I'm old and in the, the home when I expect uh. him, him expect him to con- to contribute to the uh, uh, keep, keep dad in uh, in diapers and um, and you know scientific American subscriptions.:
0: Wait fund. you don't think our parents are expecting that do you?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think I think it. I think it's going to depend. I nominate you, <laughs> as
0: I do so often. <laughs> All right. I just, just to be clear, though, Ashley, no, 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 no. You should not tell the parents that you saw the baby take his first steps.
1: Okay, John's John's come around and he's decided to. to... Unless you are directly
0: asked, yeah. And then I guess maybe you have to say yes, but even then, probably not.
1: Yeah. J- John has abandoned the bit. Um, And he he wants to make sure that you don't actually tell them. This question comes from Bree who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently started dating someone and everything's great. He's super sweet, he makes me laugh, and I have a great time when I'm with him. But I recently found out that he has a not-so-tiny following online. He's somewhat of a popular YouTube person and he has a decent amount of Twitter followers, enough to where people notice and stop him when we're out and they want pictures. I never wanted a life in the public eye, and with the growing maliciousness of the YouTube community, I'm not sure that I could handle it. How do I handle this budding relationship while also uh, handling keeping myself out of the public eye, if that is even possible? Completely lacking a sign off, Brie. Oh my. Surprise. Yeah. Surprise YouTube celebrity boyfriend.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like. That's a great question for our spouses because they both <laughs> yeah. unexpectedly yeah. developed surprise YouTube husbands uh, well into the relationship. Yep. But at least with that, there was a measure of um, I don't know. There was a little bit of buy-in. Like Sarah was in favor of brotherhood 2.0 as a concept.
1: Sure. Yeah. It was like, and it happened somewhat gradually. It wasn't like and surprise. And there were lots of decisions along the way. Um, right. That yeah. That that were that they were involved in. Um, that said it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's also weird because I don't like, I don't think that, you know, traditional celebrity is the same necessarily. And so like, it's, you're kind of an un, un mapped territory here. So I don't know that anyone has particularly good advice for you, except for people who have been in this exact position before, but I will say that, that, you know, it, when you talk about the maliciousness of the YouTube community, it, it isn't necessarily in that person's part of the community. There are lots right. of areas of YouTube that are, that are like just kind and supportive uh, and maybe are smaller, but are big enough that people will still get recognized at the grocery store or whatever. And that is the way that, that fame has changed where, you know, 99% of people have no idea who your boyfriend is probably, but 1% is a lot. Like you see more than 100 people If you go to the grocery store, maybe not. But at some grocery stores, I feel like I do. That place just is full of people. And uh, yeah, so it might, I think that it has to come down to the individual, like, situation. Um, But um, but also, like, that's a pretty, is that a cool thing? Like, is that also kind of dope? Like, is there also, like, opportunities that, like, neat things will happen that you wouldn't otherwise have happen? Where you get to... Have experiences and do things.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think it depends on the person, but I do think you have to be realistic that that, that you are. Yeah, uh, at least f- uh, until the moment when that w- when the person you're dating starts talking about you online. I think you're relatively anonymous. After that. Mm-hmm you know, there is an element of not being fully anonymous. And to be honest, this is something in a way Hank and I have never been through the worst parts of because we've never had like a, a public breakup, which is where I think it's really hard mm-hmm. and where you do see some viciousness at times, even in very supportive communities. So I totally get the concern. But I also think um, un, uh, until and unless you're explicitly mentioned, I, I think you can kind of fly under the radar.
1: Yeah, there are certain kinds of YouTube com- content that that, like ask for all that person's life to be laid out in front of everyone and and if you were in a relationship with one of those people you would know it like you would know from the beginning because the camera would, would would be out all the time but a lot of people just like make videos that are about a certain thing and they aren't about their life um and and so you don't necessarily don't have to be a, a part of their like public narrative right
0: right um, speaking of public narratives, Hank, I want to answer this question. It comes from Rebecca, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I love your podcast and it enriches my life. Rebecca, that is far too kind. Literally, it is too kind uh, <laughs> about... yeah. Our completely suboptimal podcast. I'm quite the Beatles fan, and the other day when I was listening to John Lennon's Imagine, my brother joined me and said that it was a wonderful song, but he didn't like the political message it was sending and something about communism. My question is, what political message does Imagine send out? And also, can I continue enjoying it once I know the truth behind it? Thankful for any advice.
1: Rebecca. Well, so there's the key, two questions yeah. here, yeah. I also, I just, yeah, I, w- I want everybody to keep on the lookout for my new YouTube video, The Truth About John Lennon's Imagine
0: oh god oh god that is such a genre of youtube videos um there's two questions here one is can you enjoy art that you find politically reprehensible and the other question is is john lennon's imagine a communist song and if so is that so bad um (laughs) yeah
1: no i mean first of all even like i don't know that you can find the well (laughs) I feel like that. Yeah, I can. I can definitely not enjoy content because of the message it sends. Yeah.
0: Yes, but you also. Uh, I I also think that like sometimes you can enjoy content despite the right. message it sends. Like I can I can like a song even if there are things in it that I find objectionable. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, the answer to is imagine a communist song is yeah yeah imagine no possessions yeah. uh, i wonder if you can no greed no need for greed or hunger a brotherhood of man that's pretty that's yeah. that's pretty leniny that's got so that's got a leniny vibe uh nothing to kill or die for
1: that's yeah. less leniny um and, <laughs> there's lots of things to kill and die for if you're communist russia but, but yeah. they,
0: they do say no religion too yeah
1: um uh, Which is pretty. Yeah. That that was like that feels. Whenever you know, whenever I hear that song, I, I, I like think about in the '60s, saying like, "Imagine no religion." Like, whoa, hold on there, Bucko. That's a that's a danger time that you've entered. But yeah, uh, people. You know, people heard... And I think part of the message of Imagine, and what's nice about the song, is that it isn't saying, like, hey, there shouldn't be religion, there shouldn't be possessions. It's just saying, let's question this. Let's look at it for a second and see what, like, where the thing is valuable and where it isn't. And without saying, like, you know, without, without questioning it, then you don't ever get a chance to really even appreciate the good things that might come from things. So... But in the end, he does say, You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I, I hope someday you'll join us. Uh, in kind of saying, All of these things I have asked you to imagine are things that I want to happen. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty commie song, but that doesn't mean it's not beautiful. Well,
0: also, um, it, it also doesn't mean
1: that it's wrong. Like, right. Yeah.
0: I, you know. I I don't know. I don't I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to get into ideology here. I do want to point out, though, that Hank is completely correct about the uh, the difference about saying imagine no religion in 19. I'm going to guess like 72 or 73 when I'm going to guess that song came out versus today, uh, which is that uh, then the vast majority of people in the United States at least did go to church every week. And uh, now it is uh, fewer than uh, 40% and well under uh, 40%. So, yeah, yeah. 70, things, have, 19, things have changed. 1971, John. Good, good job. Thank you. Well, I know when the Beatles broke up. And unfortunately, I know when John Lennon was assassinated. So I knew it was somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, move on to another question, Hank. This is another one I really wanted to answer today. All right. It comes from Peter, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a teenaged boy who is a longtime fan of the pod, and I have a conundrum. I'm very interested in knitting. However, I am scared that if I try to learn how to knit, I will be judged as a wuss or a sissy. How do I solve this problem? The jaws of death will engulf you. Peter. Well, Peter, you've already got
1: the sign-off thing figured out, and that's great. (laughs) Um, you, 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 I don't think that th- there's nothing you could do here. If you're interested in a thing and you're worried about what people are going to think about you, you either don't do the thing because that the, the fear is too great or you do it and you deal with it. And you look at those people and you think, why are you so silly? This is like, what about this particular activity? Which, by the way, involves giant, like, basically weapons that sometimes TSA won't even let you bring on plane. Uh how how is this a how is this in particular like what happened in society that this is a, a a thing that is supposed to be feminine when like clearly it has no gender
0: Right yeah i mean but it is it it is also hard when you are a teenager sure. to yeah. to stand up to uh gender constructions and to stand up to those messages that tell you that you're going to be less of a person worth valuing if you do this or do that. That said, it is awesome, it is courageous, and it makes the world better and it makes your life better in the long run. So I uh I encourage you to knit, knit like a mofo. Just charizard that mofo <laughs> to go all the way back to the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> I hope hope you find it man I hope you
1: find the will to knit I think that would Mm -hmm. be awesome and I think you also got to recognize that what's going to happen to you is what happens to 95% of knitters is like you figure it out and you start doing it and then it's like oh yeah okay I get it I don't really need to make sweaters for the rest of my life. I don't know. Actually, you might not find that. You might but find it's, that
0: it's super fun and challenging and yeah, interesting. I'm just saying, to make that's, sweaters. What,
1: that's what happens. That's what happens to most people. Just having watched my my friends go through their knitting craze, but also that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to come back later. You have a skill that's always there, ready for you to apply it. Uh, you know, especially post-apocalypse, like making a sh- making like useful things out of strings is definitely a good thing to be able to do. Great. Great point, Na- Hank. Yeah.
0: Great point. It reminds me, in fact, that today's podcast is brought to you by Knitting. Knitting, an amazing
1: post-apocalyptic talent. Oh, no, so good. This podcast is also brought to you by Turtle Books. Books about turtles. They're books with high quantities of turtles. Uh, the, a recommended daily value uh, completely satisfied 150% uh, of turtles, But that which is not John's book, Turtles All the Way Down.
0: Uh, Today's podcast is also brought to you by Nothing to Kill or Die For. Wouldn't that Mm. be nice? Are you listening to anything on Audible right now, John? I'm listening uh, to Jane
1: Austen's Persuasion. Oh, look at that! Yeah, that's available. It's good. I'm listening right now to uh, the second book in the Expanse series, *Caliban's War* by James S.A. Corey, which is so good. The book, the first one, is also very good. And I love, I love, like, I, I when I'm listening to a series of books. I love like sticking like that. It sticks with the same narrator. And I get this feeling that like the, uh, the Harry Bosch series by Michael Connelly is like that, where he is. So get so connected with the narrator and his voice for telling the story. Um, I also uh, I, I love that and uh, and yeah the Expanse series is, is fantastic the the show is great and uh, and the books are, are great and there's way more of the books than there is of the show so you can be in the world longer which is exciting for me uh, and I just finished the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks which also was fantastically read. And uh, and very super freaking interesting. Everybody, I, I've been told over and over and over again that I need to read this book. And I kind of sometimes have a hard time reading nonfiction on paper. Um, but this was like such a good, cohesive story that kept driving through it um, and like kept me wanting to listen to the next chapter uh, that I was really glad I, I listened to it as an audio book.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I I loved that book. I read it you know, uh, with with words, but uh, I'm sure the audiobook was good. Okay, let's go back to uh, <laughs> answering questions, Hank. This question okay. comes from Allison, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm moving out of my parents' house, bachelor degree in hand, to a new state, Birmingham, Alabama, actually. You may know a thing or two about that place. Hank was born there. I lived there for a long time. In the process of coming into my own and venturing out into this grown-up world, I've discovered that furniture is heckin' expensive. Hundreds of dollars Mm -hmm. for a chair? (laughs) Question mark, question mark. I've also realized that I'm vastly unprepared for this. I don't know how taxes work. I don't know how to set up Wi-Fi at my house. I'm curious, what were some of the things that you were blindsided by slash not expecting when you became real adults
1: also, if you have advice about moving to
0: a new state, I'm all ears. Later, Vader, Allison.
1: I got to say, the cost of furniture continues to shock me. Oh,
0: man. I remember when I bought my first couch with Sarah, because before that, I'd only ever purchased couches at garage sales and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, Sarah yeah. and I, when we moved to New York, we bought a couch. And I was in Jennifer Convertibles to buy this couch, and... First off, I was like, Sarah, why are we at this fancy furniture store? And she was like, this is literally the cheapest furniture store that I would ever enter. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And then secondly, I was like, can someone explain to me why this couch is $900? Like, I still think like $900, like what, what does it do? Does it turn into a bed? Yes, as it happens, it did. But still,
1: (laughs) does it turn into a car? Yeah, Like I you can get a car, it. a car for $900. Cars have like one couch and two chairs inside of them.
0: <laughs> and you can sometimes find a used one that runs for just over $900. So really it is insane how expensive furniture is. On the other hand, a lot of
1: work goes into making them, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Um, they're hard to move around. But, but uh, well, what uh, I will say is like, like what sometimes you don't realize is like living in your parents' house it took them decades to collect all the furniture they have. They didn't right. start out and, like, buy it all at once. They probably had not so much furniture at all and probably, you know, had a bunch that they got at thrift stores or garage sales and then slowly got rid of the crappy things and replaced them with good things. And uh, And it's important to know that you, like, not only can't you, but you should not uh, suddenly go into twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt furnishing a home and yeah on that note hank
0: i just want to interrupt you real quickly and say that you implied that the stuff that you get at garage sales isn't good and i would like to say for the record that i still have one of my garage sale couches and it remains uh, in some ways it is certainly not our most physically attractive couch (laughs) but i would argue it is our most comfortable couch yeah
1: um uh, rugs are also something that that really shocked me and it's like this is a thing that i step on i just walk on this all day long why is this why is this so expensive why am i gonna they
0: require so much work to create that's you know, they're yeah. expensive no yeah, it makes sense it. yeah
1: it makes it makes sense but yeah i i'm like well no rugs for me for a while um and uh, setting up wi-fi you can do it paying taxes you can do it but it's harder than setting up wi-fi <laughs>
0: I don't know. They're both very hard. <laughs> I mean, I remember I have a vivid memory of like setting up. We didn't have Wi-Fi back then. Have I ever told the story about when yes, uh, you have. my roommate came home with Wi-Fi? Yeah. Are you sure I
1: have? You have
0: on the podcast. Are you, to- are you totally positive? I'm
1: like I'm like 98% sure. I'm
0: going to tell it again. So my roommate, Shannon, came home with a computer with Wi-Fi, and she was like, look, no cords, no cables. And anywhere within 50 feet of this machine that I bought that was a wireless router, I can get access to the Internet. And I said, jokes on you, Shannon, because I have a 100-foot Ethernet cord. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'm glad that you laughed at my joke despite having heard it literally 4000 it's times. It's probably not the not the third. It's at least not the third. Uh, uh, anyway, the joke's on Shannon, because uh, I figured out that wireless was a complete scam if you just owned a 100-foot Ethernet cord. And to this day, I refuse to get computers with wireless. Just kidding. Um, I was <laughs> clearly wrong about that. So uh, th- th- it is a pain to, like, set up all of that stuff. But you also have to remember, Allison, that you're setting stuff up, and then once it's set up, it works.
1: Well, until um, it stops working. I-, I, What I want Allison to know is that, like... Y- you gotta figure stuff out. That's that's oh, that's what stressful. adult that's what adulthood is. It's like, I don't know how to do this. and it's like, oh, okay. well, I'll just do it. I will say, do not, do not put washing uh, like washing machine, like clothes washing stuff into the dishwasher. That's a bad idea. What? Yeah. Or the other way around. Don't do it either way. The, the dishwasher has its stuff and the, the clothes washer has its stuff and they are not the same. They are not the same. And do not put hot oil into a milk jug is another thing to not do. That's a good one.
0: I'll, I'll give you one that I, I learned the hard way when I was 23. Sometimes you want to eat a frozen pizza, and you put it in the micro. You put it in the oven at 450 degrees for 18 minutes, and then about like four minutes after you start cooking the pizza, you want to go bowling, and so you go bowling, <laughs> and you and you're a bit of an obsessive bowler, so you bowl by yourself for three and a half hours. When you come home, first off. You're going to be so happy that the whole house didn't burn down.
1: But secondly, you're going to have some really annoyed roommates. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. It's burning. It actually was b- burning, John. It was burning. It happened to it was, you. Uh, that that it's thing. not a great decision by me. Uh, which uh, Shout out to all the people who are cooking while they listen to Dear Hank and John. Make sure that you set your timer and that it's loud enough to get through your earbuds. All right, I got one last question for you. John says, Dear Brothers, it's from RJ. Do power plants produce their own electricity? How is a power plant turned on if it produces its own power? Do other power plants pay to use electricity? Do power plants have to pay to use electricity? These are the questions I need answered answer to. I have no use for these answers, RJ. <laughs> 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 I need answers to these questions, by which I mean I don't need answers to these questions. Well, Hank? I think I think a power plant's just like any other building. Like, uh, the, the, the power goes out of the power plant, it goes to the place where all the power goes and gets shifted around and, and joins up on the grid, and then it comes back. So, yeah, I, like, if you turn off the—like, you got to make it so that if you turn off the power plant— it still has power somehow. You don't like all the computers and TV TVs, because they're watching sports, I guess, and lights to turn off, uh, just because the power plant needs maintenance. So you're, uh, you're on the grid like, no, like anybody else. And yeah, you got to pay for power, even if you're a power plant. Even if you're throwing it off like more than you could ever possibly use, you just tap into the grid like anybody else.
0: Well, that's that's interesting. I'm glad I learned that. Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to read uh, one quick correction that came in from Elliot, who had a bunch of issues with the way we talked about how we know climate change is real. In that... um. It, it, in that discussion, Hank, we both said that you have to rely on experts and the only way to know as much as a climate scientist does about climate is to be a climate scientist. Elliot broadly agreed with this, but he also pointed out that the nature of science is for it to be open um, and available for people to explore and to question and to use uh, The the scientific method to come to better understandings, which I think is an important point. And also, he said that it is actually not that complicated to to prove uh, to people that we know that humans are causing the earth to get hotter. Uh, So I'm just going to read his explanation because I thought it was good. People have put tons of effort into measuring humanity's greenhouse emissions, and it lines up reasonably well with similarly large efforts to measure atmospheric carbon worldwide. Here's a NASA visualization, which we will put on the Patreon. It's a pretty straightforward phys- pretty straightforward physical model, say that this will cause climate change, so it's hard to see how it wouldn't affect global temperatures. And importantly, those human emissions are literally the only known factor that remotely explains the rising temperatures that we see. hmm so there you go. Um, Hank. yes, John. Did anything happen on a cold dead rock millions of miles from Earth yesterday?
1: No. Uh, but yo oh, yes, many things happened on on Mars yesterday uh, and other cold dead rocks as well um, had had uh, things happen to them. But uh, the thing the thing that uh, I'm going to talk about is not did not actually happen on Mars. It happened here on Earth. So John, you know that they're working on a they're working on a new launch system to get heavier, bigger stuff farther and faster than ever before, and so we've got this engine that's going to take us, hopefully, if if all if all works out as planned, and and uh, you know we don't need to start knitting our own shirts uh to mars <laughs> there's uh th- and this engine uh you may have heard of it john it's called the rs25 and when i say you've heard of it you ha- probably haven't heard it called that but it's just the same engine that they used on the space shuttle they had 3 of them on the the main engine of the space shuttle and uh it it burns uh liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen to create water and it throws off a tremendous amount of of uh, hot gas and that exits very quickly from the nozzle, 13 times the speed of sound. So if it kept going that fast, it would go from Los Angeles to New York in about 15 minutes. Luckily it doesn't or else that would be a problem. But it basically, it's a huge engine. It's about the size of like a uh, like a Honda Fit. And it uh, has these four extremely fast turbo pumps and uh, it's a reliable thing. We'd never had uh, significant problems with them. Um, and we know how they work really well because we used them for a long time on the space shuttle and instead of having three of them The space launch system will have four of them and they've actually changed the controller a little bit the kind of brain that operates how uh, How the engine works how much gas is going through it and how the valves and pumps and things uh, are going change that a little bit so that it actually uh, produces about 10% more uh, thrust than they did when they were used in the space shuttle And uh, we were doing our first uh, tests of of that new control system for the SLS, or maybe not our first, but they're doing, they're testing it right now, actively testing the uh, the RS-25 engine. And if you want to watch a video of that, I'll throw that one up on the Patreon as well, because man, is it impressive! They put it in this building, I just love it, they like, put it in this building, and then the building has to be anchored into the ground super hard is usually the problem you have is that it like you, you don't want uh, a building to like e- like you're fighting against gravity but this building has to fight against this engine that's trying to lift it into space so uh there's this giant engine that uh, has to channel the the gases as it's ex- exiting the engine out um but it's just very impressive and it runs for a very long time like about eight minutes uh which does not seem like a long time until it is a giant engine that produces just massive massive amounts of thrust so working on that um and uh and doing testing of it right now
0: wow that sounds pretty exciting actually cool thing yeah yeah rocket science john well uh the news from afc wimbledon is not rocket science as they say um In fact, just moments ago, AFC Wimbledon wrapped up one of their final friendlies before the uh, soccer season officially starts. Uh, against Scunthorpe on August 5th. So it is the end of uh, our long international nightmare, Hank. Uh, finally, at last, uh, we are returning to regular soccer. However, uh, just played Aldershot Town in a preseason friendly. Uh, Aldershot Town currently playing in the fifth tier of English soccer. So uh, not uh, in the football league, not, mm-hmm. a, uh, not a team in the football league. Yep. However, um, we did not lose to them. Uh, we also did not beat them. It was a one-one uh, draw, uh, and mm. uh, our new goalkeeper McDonald had a very good game. Which, on the upside, means that uh, he might be very good. On the downside, that means that there were a lot of chances for Alder shot down. Um, so he made some very good uh, good saves and. Uh, mm, That is the news. We just have to hope that uh, the preseason has been mixed results, I would say. Um, And I think we have to have the ambition and the hope that the betting markets are right. So the betting markets, Hank, have AFC Wimbledon finishing 17th-ish. and uh, that would that would suit my interest just fine, because I love sponsoring a third tier English soccer team. And it is my ambition to continue sponsoring one until one day they have a brand new stadium and maybe uh, with with some luck and some investment can
1: become a second tier English soccer team. I mean that that, I mean, John, don't you want to them to be a first-tier English soccer team, though? I do. Uh, That would be
0: great. And uh, certainly all things are possible, but there would have to be some kind of collapse in the British economy that I don't want to root (laughs) for. um, Because right now, all the Premier League teams can spend like an actual hundred million dollars every summer. Um, So it seems pretty far away uh, for AFC Wimbledon to be spending that kind of money. But life is full of surprises. And certainly who could have guessed that uh, they would be uh, promoted six times in there uh, since being reborn, so anything is possible. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, but in the meantime, we're not losing to Aldershot Town, which is also something.
1: I mean, could you since since they did so well, could you like recruit a couple Aldershot Town players, maybe? I, I, certainly, so I don't have think that's some, out of the
0: question. Some I, players. I, I was watching uh, Jamaica play the United States in the Gold Cup, and the Jamaican keeper was unfortunately injured, and so they had to bring in their backup keeper, who was a 30-year-old. Uh, playing in the second tier of Sweden and I was watching this second tier Swedish goalkeeper And he was making some really good saves and I did think, mm, you know, I have Neil Ardley's phone number. I could text him
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah, because because I'm sure nobody else is watching that game uh, Yeah,
0: well actually it is possible that I was the only person watching that game <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea Hank, what did we learn today? Oh, John, we learned that cars have like a couch and two chairs in them. So why do I have to pay so much for couches and chairs?
0: We also learned uh, that lying to your babysitting clients is sometimes the
1: right thing to do. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. And we learned that you gotta you gotta kill all those mosquitoes. So if you see a mosquito, kill a mosquito. Do not worry about the ecological consequences. And maybe if we all just work together, we can get them all, which we definitely can't.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I I don't. mm. I mean, if we work together, like as a species, increase, uh, you know, dramatically increase funding for anti-malarial efforts, maybe. But I think just by uh, smashing them (laughs) one at a time, probably not. Um, And lastly, we learned that turtles all the way down does not have that many actual turtles in it.
1: It is a low turtle book, John. Mostly uh, mostly a metaphor. Hey, thanks, John, for podcasting with me. Oh, thanks, it's been, people. It's my pleasure. Who listened and sent in questions. If you would like to send in questions, you could do that at John at gmail.com. Uh, John, you're on Twitter. I sometimes. Yeah, At twitter.com slash John Green. I'm on Twitter. At twitter.com slash Hank
0: Dear Hank and John is produced by Rosie Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bonjourner is our head of community and communications. Our music is by the great Gunnarola. Hank, we are now going to go record our extra podcast for Patreon uh, this week in Ryan's, uh, which you can find out more about over at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. Thanks again for listening. And as we say in our hometown,
1: don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.